Summon the suit. So be it. Hello, and welcome to staying awake. I have a sleeping disorder. Why did you call me Mark? Embrace the chaos. W, D, w Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 674, and together we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, Disney Plus, movies, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook every Wednesday night, community, audio tours, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and find everything else at www.radio.com. So Marvel's Moon Knight on Disney Plus is one of the most interesting and unique characters and series we've seen from Marvel. And this week, we're going to look at 10 reasons to love and watch Moon Knight. Not just why you need to watch, but what to look for and the elements that make this so wonderfully different. I'll then have our Disney trivia question of the week. More updates at the end of the show, including our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World. Your voicemails and more. So sit back. Relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Peter Parker. We all know these names, and of course, they're superhero alter egos. But what about Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, Arthur Harrow, or Conchu? Well, until the announcement and then the release of the first episode in March 2022, many people had never even heard of Moon Knight. But this not-so-new character and story has created this incredible sense of interest, excitement, and Oh, so many wonderful questions about this character, or should I say cast of characters. So this week, we're going to look at 10 reasons to love and watch Moon Knight. And joining me back again on the show is Sean Gerber from the MCU Fan Show Podcast. You may remember Sean from show 563, The Future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which, by the way, is probably very interesting to listen to now since that was about three years ago. So, Sean, welcome back, buddy. Thank you. It's good to be back. I really appreciate you for having me on again, Lou. Yeah, as, as Moon Knight um, was, was coming up and, and as I was watching it for the fourth time and, and really decided that I wanted to do a full podcast episode about it, you were the first person that came to mind, not just because you have this incredibly encyclopedic knowledge of the movies and the comic books and the characters, but I just really enjoyed our conversation then. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it too, um, because if you, you know, talk about a character who has gone from relative obscurity to the subject of, I mean, there's no more really water coolers anymore, but so much water cooler conversation online. It's really been incredible. So just quickly tell, talk to me about what your familiarity was with Moon Knight before the announcement and before these first episodes dropped. Yeah. So my own knowledge for a character like Moon Knight, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't mischaracterize it and say that he was always a favorite of mine growing up and, and reading Marvel comic books, but he was always a character that I thought was really cool and I found compelling whenever I did 
pick up and read a story. And then I would always find myself wondering why I didn't read more Moon Knight stories. But then with stuff like Marvel Unlimited, that becomes so much easier. And, and reading stuff that's more recent, like uh, what Warren Ellis has done with the character or Jeff Lemire. And I think as the character has progressed as the story, as the mythology has been built out more and more, and you've seen the story focus on the dissociative identity disorder, as you mentioned, these different identities, Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, Moon Knight, and even Moon Knight has other, there are other versions, identities for Moon Knight, like Mr. Knight, as people have seen in the posters and things like that, that you have these very, very different perspectives and different approaches because these identities, even though they are within the same body, they are very different identities and very different people with their own perspectives and experiences. And that makes the storytelling so rich because it's so complex. And also it's very suspenseful as a reader because you never really, and now as a viewer, you never really know where you stand and you never really know it's hard to have some sure footing. So if you want to know what's happening all the time, maybe Moon Knight's not going to be your favorite thing, but if you uh, if you like being able to be kept guessing while also seeing these competing identities and their competing interests and building out stories around that, and because these personalities are so different, you're able to have tell stories that really just transfer back and forth between different genres and different tones, and the stories can just shift on a dime in really exciting ways. And all of them, I, I think, have been compelling for Moon Knight over the years. And I think that just lends itself to especially the series format on Disney Plus as opposed to a movie because you get a lot more time to uh, to expand on these uh, very different aspects of this character. Or as you mentioned, you no know, cast of characters, because these different these identities are very, very unique um, from one another. And all of that, I, I think, just makes for really, really great storytelling. Yeah, I mean, because even you know, looking at the comics, I mean, there were so many different runs and and stories uh, of Moon Knight mm-hmm. that even the comics probably kept you guessing but I think one thing people have to remember and you as a listener should absolutely keep in mind as you go into Moon Knight is I think really like all of the MCU and even the Disney Plus shows and movies you don't need to know this character or have read the right. comics ahead of t- ahead of time it, it very much and even what we're seeing already in episode one lays the groundwork and the foundation for your understanding of it. And and because of this six-part run of the Disney Plus series, they are going to be able to take that time and and really flush that story out. Uh, And and admittedly, Sean, I didn't really know of Moon Knight Hmm. at all going into this, which is not a bad thing. And I honestly think the first time I heard of Moon Knight was from my friend Brian Crosby. He is the creative hmm. director of Marvel themed entertainment. We had done a um we had done a show about um we had, I think we had done a show about the, the Marvel Day at Sea Cruise or the or the future of Marvel. I don't remember exactly what it was back on show 541 and I asked him I said, "Man, you know, you are the Marvel Comics guy. If there was one character that you would hope to be introduced into the MCU going forward, who would it be? And his eyes widened and he went into this wonderful dialogue about Moon Knight. That got me interested and I was very intrigued. Um, I have this love of Egyptian history, Egyptian mythology. Mm-hmm. If you've watched some of the live show, you've probably heard me ramble on about the mysteries of the pyramids and the Sphinx and ancient aliens, whatever. I won't go down the road here, um, but... I did a little bit of research ahead of time. I, I read a little bit. Um, we'll talk about some of 
not just the standalone Moon Knight stuff, but what might the future right. might hold. Um, and again, we're, we're, we're going to talk really about the reasons to love and the reasons to, to watch Moon Knight. And without sort of spoiling anything for any of the episodes, even episode one, I really felt not just the first time I watched episode one, but I've watched it almost fully four times already. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I think Moon Knight episode one may be the strongest open of any of the mm. Marvel Disney Plus shows, including WandaVision, which I loved and I was all in on very, very quickly. Right. I think it's definitely up there. My favorite premiere might still be the first episode of Loki, Glorious Purpose, it might still be my my reigning defending champion of Marvel Disney Plus premieres. But uh, this one was, uh, was definitely up there. I, I really loved it. I thought it was strong. And without spoiling it, just in case anybody hasn't seen the first episode yet, I think for those who don't know as much about Moon Knight or anything at all, frankly, about Moon Knight, I kind of think you have a bit of an advantage because I think with the way the story is being structured, and by advantage, I mean there's a chance you might enjoy it more than even somebody who knows uh, a certain amount of it from the comic books or just read up on it or you know read interviews and whatever with what the what they're dealing with in terms of the characters, the themes. If you go into it pretty blank, I think you might enjoy it even more because I also, I feel like this, the, the way the story is structured, the mystery element, there are certain things happening in the first episode where as a comic book fan, I'm waiting for the main character to catch up to what I think I know based on the comic books. Whereas if you know nothing at all and you're experiencing this, in the same way that the character is and being completely mystified by what exactly is happening and not even understanding the nature of what's happening, your empathy for the character, like you are right there in that character's shoes in a way that somebody who maybe knows from the comic books, as I said, is waiting for the character. Like, can you just catch up to what I know? Um, but that's not the case. If you don't know what's going on with this character in advance. And I really like the way that they've done that because most people who are going to watch the show are not people who've read the comic books. And I think that's what's great about the MCU and, and Marvel Studios in general is they've always found the right balance for each thing of being able to satisfy what the comic book fans know and love and expect from certain characters and stories and stuff like that. But then also making sure that the story is still open and inviting and able to be understood by people who know nothing about it. Because that was that, that's true to the spirit of what even Stan Lee always talked about going back to the Marvel age of comic books is everybody's comic book is somebody's first. And I think that's the way Marvel Studios continues to approach these. Uh, every series, every movie might be somebody's first thing, or even if it's not their first Marvel show, it's their first experience with that character. And we have to be able to treat it as such. And it has to be satisfying on that level while also satisfying some of the deeper mythology that might be expected from you know, fans who've been reading the comic books for years. I think it's a fantastic point, Sean, about our introduction to this is happening sort of real time. Because look, when I, when when a Spider-Man movie comes out or the Spider-Man, you know, the first in the Spider-Man, we're like, all right, we're waiting for those story beats. OK, nerd uh -huh. beaten up by Flash Thompson, Spider-Bite, Aunt May, Uncle Ben, great power, great. So we're sort of waiting for those yeah. things to happen at some point. We're here. I loved going in completely blind you know i had a, a very rough sort of idea of how he becomes moon knight but 
not something all too familiar. So I love the fact that it, that it was new and it is fresh. And I was excited to see, and I'm excited to see each episode as it comes out. And which is also why I like this being a Disney plus series, as opposed to trying to cram everything into an hour or in the Marvel case, a three hour movie. Um, right. But let's get, let's get into those 10 reasons. And the first thing that, that came to mind um, and I just wrote Oscar Isaac, dot, 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 brilliant. Um, Oscar, right. I, I mean, this is one thing that you have seen or will continue to see is if you go into Moon Knight, and I think a lot of us did, right? You 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 fire up Disney Plus, you're expecting to see a superhero show, and it's not. Moon Knight is very much a character study that is a multiple character study, really portrayed brilliantly um, by Oscar Isaac. And again, without necessarily going into over specific moments, some of those beats and some of those switches in between the character of, of Stephen and Mark are wonderfully jarring and portrayed brilliantly. You talked about the dissociative identity disorder. Again, his portrayal of this real world uh you know uh condition for people is treated so respectfully and um and i think again so brilliantly by him um because moon knight is not you know oscar isaac is not moon knight oscar isaac is three and then eventually maybe so many more characters that I have to right. imagine from an actor perspective, the challenges and opportunities of playing one character, but so many diverse roles. And I imagine like him not having to prepare for one character with, you know, the, the, the Bruce Wayne, Batman, alter ego, but different roles really for different characters. Yeah. And I, I think this is the best role slash like, parenthetically S after roles that Oscar Isaac could have played in the MCU. And I think we've always wanted Oscar Isaac to be part of the MCU. And there's been talk and rumors about other times where it might've happened and then it didn't. And that's happened with actors previously in the MCU. Like Jeff Goldblum was the first choice for Senator Brandt way back in Captain America, the first Avenger. And you don't even remember who that character is. If you're listening to this, or there's a good chance you don't, and it didn't work out. And then he became the grandmaster in Thor Ragnarok, and it worked out beautifully. And so I, I think when you have this situation with Oscar Isaac, it's the perfect actor for the perfect role at the perfect time. And I, I think it's also just Kevin Feige and company being greedy of like, well, we want Oscar Isaac to do everything in the MCU. Great. Give him a character that has five different identities. Okay. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. But you have to be a really good actor. And I think that anybody who's been watching Oscar Isaac over the past decade or so has recognized that this is one of the best actors that we have working today. And it's no easy feat to go through, to be able to portray all of these different identities, effectively do so in a way that gives the audience an opportunity to invest and care about each one of these identities. And knowing that, Unlike when you're playing a single role, or as you said, even a dual identity, you know, Batman versus Bruce Wayne, Spider-Man versus Peter Parker type of thing, you get ample time as each character. Whereas uh, in this one where he's playing, you know, a handful of different identities, 
doesn't always get the time, um, doesn't always get the, the juiciest scene for each identity in each episode of the series. And so how can you get the audience to latch onto that very, very quickly? And that's just the the best special effect that this uh, that this show has is the acting ability of Oscar Isaac. And I think you see that right away when you watch uh, the first episode, because uh, without spoiling it, when you meet uh, a you meet an identity like Stephen Grant, this is how good of an actor Oscar Isaac is. He can convince you he's not cool uh, when he's playing the character of Stephen Grant. And he does such a great job uh, in that episode and, and episodes that follow. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, you have to make it real for the audience. If you're going to play these different identities and have the balancing act of being able to have some levity to it, but also not treating it as frivolous, um, not making fun of it or anything that uh, the experience that these different identities go through uh, with this character. Uh, Oscar Isaac just knows how to how to walk that line um, each and every step of the way. Well, and unlike a Bruce Wayne, Batman, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, where the sort of two sides to their lives yeah. work in concert with one another, his personalities are are very much, uh, you know, we see in episode one, they're in conflict with, with one yeah. another. And, and the way he's able to do that, um, especially with the way the scenes are shot, with sort of having these very jarring moments in between and these large gaps in between, not for us as the audience and him, not knowing what, what is going on. But Steve, you know, he makes Steven such a lovable character, like very, mm-hmm. very early on. Look, like any good storytelling, it makes you as the audience care about him and you immediately become concerned about him, right? You have to have be vested. You're concerned, you're concerned about his safety and really mm-hmm. not just his physical safety, but his mental safety as well. And going forward, you know, because Moon Knight is such a, a complex character, not just because of the dissociative identity disorder, but the character itself, you know, he's more anti-hero sometimes than he is here. He's like mm-hmm. a little bit more daredevil than he is Captain America in terms of, of how he deals with um, some of the, the bad guys. And, and I think the internal battles that the personalities are struggling with. And, and again, uh, that I think Oscar Isaac portrays so very well. Um, and, and these, you know, the moral gray areas that, that they're going to be operating in going forward. Right. It, it, it has me very, very excited, not just what we've seen in, in episode one, but what's to come for the rest of the series. Yeah, I would highlight, without trying to spoil too much, a moment in episode one where Stephen Grant comes to a realization at a, a dinner of how much time he's lost. And that's a, a performance moment from Oscar Isaac that... I think is among the finest moments I've seen in the series so far. And one of my favorite moments from him just as an actor in general in or outside of Marvel, where that's where it it does get real. And there's the emotional authenticity of it. I think that the, they're able to have some fun with it. And even Stephen Grant uh, initially has a more lighthearted approach to what he's suffering from because he doesn't even fully understand the scope of it. But then it, it clicks into place of just how much it's costing him and just how much this struggle, these conflicts, as you were saying, with these different identities, just how much it's really taking over and, and disrupting his life. And when you see that realization and the full weight of that hit him in that moment in the first episode, 
Um, it is just a, it's a brilliant performance piece by Oscar Isaac. So you mentioned a key word, which is authenticity. And again, this is not a, this is a show that is, you know, it, it's it's fantasy, but it is rooted in real history and, and real mythology. And that really and, and the Egyptian mythology was number two on my list. So thank you for the wonderful segue, because Khonshu is not a fantasy character, right? He is is the Heliopolis god of, of moon and vengeance. He's the son of Ra and his name means travelers and, and maybe, you know, how the, the moon travels across the night sky. Um, it wild tangent. This is possibly not the first time you've been introduced to Conchu because I love Night at the Museum. I think it's <laughs> – and if you remember the, the tablet of Ahmed Ra, which gives um, life to the inanimate uh, objects at night, is actually powered by Conchu. And I think he's actually referred to by name – in the third not-so-awesome installment, Secrets of the Tomb, where he talks about how the exposure to moonlight is what gives the tablet's powers because of Conchu's association with with the moon. And the real-world Egyptian mythology and the, the Marvel mythology are, are very much interwoven. You know, Marvel obviously takes some poetic license with the, the storytelling, but there's a lot of reality in the fiction and the fantasy of the comics. And and I love, you know, the Egyptians had this incredible fascination with um, the afterlife. And we see a lot of that reference and the the imagery and, and the rituals and the scarab. You know, the scarab is, is part of a, a burial ritual and a symbol of protection and faith. And, and I love... The grounding, not just because I have this personal interest in Egyptian mythology, but in the real world historical Egyptian history as well. Yeah, I, I love that aspect of it. I mean, I think the last time I can remember something really having being that infused with Egyptian mythology is uh, like Stargate. And um, <laughs> so we've seen some of this before, but um, this is a completely different context for it. And in the comic books, they've gone even deeper with this. It'll be interesting to see how far they go with uh, with the series, but really exploring this uh, mythology. And and they did have they worked with Rami Romani was their consultant on this. He's an Egyptologist who hosts Mummies Unwrapped on Discovery, and uh, he worked with them on the series to make sure that they were being authentic. As you said, they are still going to take creative license because this is ancient. Egyptian mythology within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, within this heightened reality of Marvel, as opposed to just the real world uh, implications of it. So there are going to be things that are, that are different. You're not going to be a qualified, you're not getting a, a, a PhD in ancient Egypt uh, just because you watch the show, obviously. But it does provide a, a context for the story. And it provide. I think it elevates the story and being able to focus on just how powerful all of this is the 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 backdrop of this is very very powerful and it it also lends itself to the supernatural which opens up the marvel cinematic universe in a way that we just have not seen before uh, and to root it in uh this ancient egyptian mythology with these gods with the ennead and I, I love Stephen Grant kind of being a very uh, a stickler for accuracy on posters about the Ennead. <laughs> 
the way that they have uh, gone about this, it shows that, and even showing that, right? There's your main character taking it seriously. And I think that's, it's a fun moment in the first episode, but it's also showing that they do want to treat it with care and respect as they approach it and use it as a backdrop for uh, the story that they want to tell. It, it will always involve some creative license, but you know they they took care to be uh, as authentic as as they could be while also telling this uh, wild Marvel story. And we'll, I think we're going to touch more on this later with with one of the other points we want to get to about you know, maybe going forward, but this is actually not the first time that we've seen or heard a reference to an Egyptian god in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because Baft mm. in Black Panther is a member of the Egyptian pantheon, and he's obviously very integral to the history of Wakanda, and, you know, we wonder if there's maybe some connective tissue later on um, between these two sure. and how they might play in together and I'm very excited yeah. to talk to you about what the, what the future might hold. Well, as we and we've also seen, yeah, and we've also seen other gods be real in the MCU, right? Like the Norse gods were the Asgardians in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we've seen with these stories, they they take these mythologies and religions and everything that we've uh, that we have seen throughout world history, and they find a way to uh, provide a context for it within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's it's almost a way of validating these things as saying, well, in our world, our world being the MCU or whatever, not our real world, but in this world of the MCU, these things actually get to be real. Um, and here's how they were real in this world or in this universe, uh, which uh, I, I certainly enjoyed with everything that we've seen with Thor and now what we're seeing with Black Panther and you know Moon Knight and whether or not those things will connect, I think is a very fascinating question. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I love this. Uh, I, I love this approach to it. I do as well. And this actually dovetails right into what was third on my list. And while we have seen, uh, again, mythology brought into the MCU and, and on Disney Plus, this is very much a new genre. And I think more importantly, a new tone for Marvel, mm-hmm. right? not just because we're now talking about things like spirituality in addition to mythology, but, and Kevin Feige talked about this ahead of time, and Kevin, you definitely paid off on your pull quote. It is a much darker, it is a much more literally brutal um, in in some places portrayal of characters and and heroes. Um, Dare I say it borders on the horror genre, um, which I think is the first sort of small or slash large step into a new world. Um, you know, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and, you know, wherever Wanda's going to be, I don't think that's it. I think this is setting up what is going to be a little bit of a darker side to Marvel and, and not just in terms of the violence because the, the series does not shy away from the violent unsettling part of Khonshu in the slightest. No, it, uh, it does not. And I think I wouldn't even say this is brushing up against horror. I I think this series (laughs) just full on jumps into it at different points, not constantly. It's not a horror show through and through every moment, but there are certainly sequences in the first episode 
and in episodes to come where the the way the whole the way the sequences are presented to you is stuff you would recognize from horror films it is in terms of the the music the lighting the pacing um even there's some stuff that's just genuinely scary to look at and experience uh, in these as you get into some of the more supernatural elements of this story and that is very different for the MCU. Obviously, I don't subscribe to anybody out there who said, well, the MCU has always been the same. No, it's always been very, very different. And this is just another way now where it's being different. Where they haven't really gone is they haven't gone into horror. Yes, some scary things have happened in the MCU, but the scenes don't play in a way or haven't been playing in the way that they do in some of the sequences here in Moon Knight. And it's so interesting. I We go back to our conversation a few years ago and it was Scott Derrickson who didn't end up uh, directing Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It was Sam Raimi who did it, but it was Scott Derrickson at the time talking about on the Comic-Con stage how Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was going to be the first scary movie in the MCU. And it may still be because anybody who knows Sam Raimi's history as a director knows there's plenty of scary stuff in his history uh, that would lend itself to that. But no matter what, Doctor Strange has been beaten to the punch because we're already here now, maybe not in terms of being a movie since this is a series. So maybe (laughs) Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness still gets to be the first scary movie in the MCU. And I think the trailers uh, point us in that direction a bit. But as far as what is going to be the first story that brings horror to the MCU, that's Moon Knight. I I think it's already happened in episode one and we'll see more examples of it as it goes on. And, and I love that that's happening because we, we look at these major film genres and that's why Kevin Feige loves to say there's no superhero genre, or at least that's not the way he sees it or approaches it. They tell stories with superheroes, but they're going through different genres to tell those stories, whether um, it's you know technological thrillers that they've done with Iron Man, political thriller, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, space opera, Guardians of the Galaxy, and on down the line. We've seen them play in these different genres, but we haven't really seen them play in the horror sandbox previously. And Moon Knight uh, jumps right into it, I think, in certain moments in that first episode um, and in other moments after that. And I I absolutely love it because horror is just it's a massive part of (laughs) it's a massive part of uh, film and film history. And certainly, you know, within the the realm of uh, of the broader Disney umbrella, there's plenty of scary stuff <laughs> that's part of Disney and Disney history. So that idea of you know transitioning through these different genres and and now kind of horror is the is the next one up, um, and supernatural horror at that uh, with uh, some very deep uh, and and dark psychological aspects to this as well. You know, it's it's having not just stepping into horror, but having different approaches to horror and, and how to be scary uh, all within one story with this series uh, that, that makes it so special. Yeah, and I think you, you're 100% correct. And I, and I love the fact that this is true, look, to even Moon Knight's origins, right? I mean, he comes from, you know, a comic called Werewolf by Night, you know, definitely on, on the darker side of it. And I think the timing is so interesting mm-hmm. too because we just come out of Hawkeye, which was much lighter, uh, much more comedic, and I don't think that this is necessarily a because I don't want I don't want uh, you listening to go oh wait a minute now Marvel's going down this dark DC path not at all I think it's not a shift in tone but an addition to tone to the Marvel storytelling right. that's taking place on screen I, I don't think Ms Marvel is going to be sort of right. equally as as brutal and dark. Um, 
And look, let's be clear too. One of the things I love about Moon Knight is, and going back to Oscar Isaac, these delivering, his delivering and delivery of these subtle comedic points um, is beautifully done. But you made a great point is that the horror is not jump scale horror. It's not just necessarily the brutality for brutality's sake, but it's this darker side of some of these characters, not just externally, but more importantly, the, the psychological, right? The mm-hmm. psychological part for Stephen, for Mark, um, and the and the internal horrors that, that he clearly is facing. You know, we sort of laugh some of these things off, but you can see in that first episode, when you have to chain yourself to your bed, you're obviously dealing with something that is right. horrible and horrific. Yeah, and even the the presentation of it, I, I think, is really effective. Like they kind of they treat it as uh, this almost kind of funny, quirky thing. Uh, these rituals that Stephen has, like why is he chained to his bed? Why does he have sand around his bed? Why does he put tape on the door? And it it it's a lighter approach to introduce you to it. I think it eases you into it as an audience. But then by the time you get to later in the episode. Like the first, I think one of the best illustrations of it is the fact that you don't see the tape land the first time you see him just crumple up the tape at that he that he strips off the door and throws it away. You see it the second time and you realize, and that shows you how long he's actually been doing this, and you have no clue about that the first time you see him peel the 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 tape off, and that is the transition of yes, this seems like this kind of weird, funny ritual that this guy has oh, no, wait, it's actually very serious of what this guy is going through, and this is how tortured he's been by it. And, yeah, that's the psychological aspect of it. In addition to the the physical horror of it, you know, you mentioned, you know, the jarring sequences of, you know, where all of a sudden Stephen Grant, you know, blacks out at a, a key moment of danger, and then he comes back where things are relatively safe, but he has to witness the horror that's around him. And we don't typically see that because a lot of times our heroes in these stories they're almost desensitized to some of the violence just because it's it's part of their regular routine. It's an unfortunate part of their regular routine. I wouldn't necessarily say that they like it, but it's something that they are used to dealing with. Well, when you have an identity like Stephen Grant who is not present for the violence, he just sees the aftermath, then that also recontextualizes it for you as an audience member to be like, oh yeah, this stuff really must be uh, horrific when you're going through it, especially if you're just not at all used to it and not at all prepared for it, as Stephen Grant clearly isn't. And like you said, sometimes the horrors are internal, sometimes mm-hmm. they're external. And number four on my list um, actually sort of uh, addresses that. And and the note that I wrote to myself was mystery villain. And what I mean by that is we have just come from and we have seen multiple times in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there is a very clear, there's a very clearly defined, and Mm -hmm. oftentimes a very clearly evil villain. We know who Thanos is. We know what he's done, wiping out half of the population of all living things. Not a good guy. Where here, we are presented with Ethan Hawke, who is equally as, as phenomenal as Arthur Harrow, who is a cult leader who, yes, maybe his goals and his visions are are counter to Mark and, and there's a, an inherent conflict there, but he is a, such a fascinating villain to me because while he has this 
clear objective, there's also something, like sometimes cult leaders can be, there's something charismatic about them. There's something mm-hmm. imp- intelligent about them. There was something almost appealing about him, which is why you develop a cult following. You want to almost know more about what he is talking about and where his motivations lie. Ethan Hawke said that he was inspired by uh, David Koresh and took a lot of his cues, physical and otherwise, from him. And look, we've seen, you know, we've seen people kneel in front of leaders before, but those who are kneeling voluntarily in front of Arthur Harrow are very different than the people who are kneeling down in front of Loki and the Avengers. Right. Yeah, I think Ethan Hawke has tapped into something really unique through this performance and with this character. And and this is definitely a, a, a an evolution of a character like Arthur Harrow, who is more... You know, and the comic book's not definitely not characterized in, in quite this way, but also it was a character that doesn't necessarily have the richest or most compelling history in the comic book. So it's certainly somebody who, as a concept, um, had uh, uh, there was a lot of space there to create something new with this character. And I think that's what Ethan Hawke and you know Jeremy Slater, the head writer for the series, and, and everybody else in, in developing this have have landed on. And I, I like that you mentioned how. There is something charismatic and liking uh, and just very likable about this guy in this very weird way. Like you see him do stuff where you're like, well, that's definitely not great and that's definitely bad. But you also can see why there are so many people who are so devoted to him and are willing to go on this journey with him and are buying what he's selling because he's very different in the way that he even conveys what he's believing and what he says he's fighting for with this heaven on earth that he's describing in the first episode where, you know, this whole idea of, of judgment, which is incredibly harsh and final in certain moments that we see uh, in the first episode, but it's his approach to it is almost in this weird way, calming, um, almost putting people at ease even before he might be about to do something terrible to them. And he doesn't really come across as threatening, at least not in this very overt way. He's not, uh, he's not a, a a madman presenting himself as, you know, going on the, the loud monologue about how he's the greatest and whatever. And and everybody just needs to follow him or whatever. He's very not Loki. He's very not red skull in a lot of those ways. Um, even though he does present a, a very real danger. Um, but I think that's the most dangerous part about it is that you don't fully recognize and aren't always fully aware of the danger he's presenting because he comes across um, in such a subtle way. Uh, with, and that is a testament to Ethan Hawke's performance at being able to, to sell that and, and keep the audience engaged with this character. Right. He's not Loki who's burdened with glorious purpose and has right. this, I, this vision of reigning over people by by raining down the Chitari in this uh, expression of violence. He's a psychological villain, which is sometimes more dangerous than a physical villain. And part of what makes him so scary and so dangerous is that he believes he is a good, like Thanos, he believes he is a good person doing a good thing, not for his own ego, but for humanity as a whole. Look, Thanos is, is... at the at the you know at the heart of Thanos is this idea that I want to make life better for everybody 
it just happens to involve killing, you know, half right. of, of the population. But he, Arthur Harrow, believes he is a good person by preemptively preventing future um, future bad acts. And I think for this character, I mean, it's it's very. Uh... I liken it to Minority Report in terms of this whole idea of somebody's going to do something bad in the future, and if we have a system that allows us to know it, then we we and that is you know the the judgment of Amit, you know the power of the god Amit is what uh, uh, Harrow has been imbued with, or at least part of it, and that's the god he is acting in service of, and that I think that is also what makes it a little, uh, it makes it different from Thanos in that way. You you mentioned the similarity of they both think they're doing what's best for everyone, or at least everyone who's going to be left by the time they're done. And so I, I think what's different, though, is Thanos saw himself as a god, which is why he smirks before he breaks Loki's neck after Loki tells him, you will never be a god. So Thanos is like, oh, yeah, well, let me show you. Harrow based on what he tells us in the first episode, he doesn't see himself as a God. He sees himself as acting in service of a God. And in some ways that can make, uh, that can, we certainly have seen examples where that can make someone very, very dangerous if they're misinterpreting their own value and seeing themselves as somebody who solely acts in service of God and they're absolute, but it makes them that much more convinced that they're right in doing the things that they're doing, even though they are, terrible and might uh, compel them to commit these atrocities as we see uh, as it looks like Arthur Harrow is going to do and as we do see uh, someone die as a result of his actions and his approach uh, in that first episode so I I think that what all of that I think is the whole hero of their own story acting in service of some greater good even as warped as it may be um, it, it makes for very complex storytelling and uh, in, but this uh, this approach for Arthur Harrow does feel very unique. And as I said, it's it's the subtle performance of Ethan Hawke that really makes it work for me. He's he's almost understated as, uh, you know, as as big bad villains go, which is why he just doesn't come across that way. When you extrapolate it all and, and look at his behavior and what he's doing, you identify the problem. But on the surface, he doesn't come across as, uh, you know, air quotes, villain-like as the antagonist that we've often seen in the MCU. Right. You know that there's something off about him. I mean, look, look at how the show opens, right? I mean, the open of the show. But while he might seem like he's a crazy person, you also, from a spiritual side, are saying this person is is giving himself penance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, And dealing with his own guilt or or or. Um, inadequacies by walking on that broken glass, um, right? You know, so there there is this immediate sense of depth to this character and sense of, in his mind, righteousness about what he's doing. Right? Yeah, he is. He. This is not. There's no pleasure in this for him. This is not a life that he enjoys or claims to enjoy. This is. He is fulfilling a purpose. He is fulfilling some sense of duty to Amit. Um, and that's, and that, as you said, the walking on the, the broken glass, paying his own penance, because he ha- in order to carry this out, he has to do bad things. Uh, killing people is bad. And so that is part of what he has to do. And he, in order to carry out this, what he believes is the greater good, that means having to do bad things. And yeah, it does feel like his own sort of, he's giving himself his own little, his own little self-imposed punishment for that, just to make sure there's no there's no pleasure or enjoyment in any of this for him that it is all painful for him uh, spiritually and physically. 
I am incredibly intrigued to see where this character slash villain goes over the the run of the series. As am I. So we touched on this earlier um, a little bit, but I still think there's there's more to sort of uncover here because next on my list is that Moon Knight in so many ways is something very new and it's very fresh. And I don't just mean in terms of the introduction of an unfamiliar character, which normally, normally, Sean, we see on the big screen. This is the first time we're seeing a new Marvel hero being introduced on the small screen, although I think this is setting a precedence for Ms. Marvel and She-Hulk and, and a lot more that's to come to Disney+. Plus. But, I mean, it's how the Marvel Cinematic Universe started, right? We, we forget because he's so much a, a part of our lives. We forget that Iron Man was a B-slash-C-list, you know, Marvel character when he was first introduced in Iron Man back in 2008. I think it's great the way Marvel Studios has just really made a habit over the years of introducing us to these new characters. But I think, as you mentioned, it started with Iron Man, which, you know, they never saw as the B-list, right? It was just the other people who saw it as the B-list as far as where these characters were in terms of their pre-established popularity levels. Because, you know, Moon Knight's not a character who's shown up in a lot of different forms of media. I mean, I know he has appeared in other things, but um, not quite on the level or, or captured the attention or you know received as, as much publicity as maybe some other Marvel characters before they were introduced to us. But I, I think that is a, a key component of phase four. Again, it's something that Marvel Studios has been doing all along, but as we were making our way through the Infinity Saga, it was ultimately time to have the story culminate. So you weren't get you were still getting some new character introductions. I mean we met Black Panther in Phase 3, we met a character like Valkyrie in Phase 3, Captain Marvel. So it's been there, but I, I think what we're what we're really seeing this year, because I think last year in 2021, at least on the Disney Plus series side, WandaVision was characters we knew. Loki, uh, a, a character that we knew, even if he was a variant and, and so on and so forth. And we got another Loki who is Sylvie, whatever. Um, but we saw a lot of characters, uh, you know, it, it was almost Disney Plus was presenting the opportunity to expand on characters that whom we had met, but didn't necessarily have as, as much of their own time or, or attention paid to them during the feature films. And then some new characters thrown in there like Kate Bishop for Hawkeye. But it wasn't new characters weren't as central of the focus on the Disney Plus series in 2021 that they clearly are in 2022 with Moon Knight. And then not long after Moon Knight wraps up, we're going to have Miss Marvel on Disney Plus. And then later in the year, we are going to have She-Hulk. And I think that's what the Marvel Cinematic Universe needs. I think that's what keeps it going is rather than just strike with an, you know, catch lightning in a bottle, although Marvel seems to be able to do it over and over and over again. You're not supposed to be able to do that. But part of the reason why they're able to is they try. And it's not really lightning in a bottle. It's not luck. It's just these are really great characters. And if you tell compelling stories about them and you you find out what makes those characters tick and what makes them relatable what allows an audience to connect to and see the value of these characters that that's the process that you can repeat the specifics of how that's executed are different with each character with each story but that general idea of the audience has to be given the opportunity to care and that's what makes it so exciting is to continue falling in love with these new characters and it just draws us 
deeper and deeper into the Marvel Cinematic Universe is there's every time there's a new story or a new character gets introduced, we get a full opportunity to get to know that character and, and develop a, a relationship with them. It's why you know, we it's why we talk about the characters even from the Infinity Saga. It's why we call them Tony and Steve more often than we call them Iron Man and Captain America is because we are on a first name basis. These are our friends. We care about them in a, a way that maybe we're not normally used to caring about superheroes and not on the same level um, where it feels just so personal as opposed to just the aspirational, hey, the superhero is cool. It's like, no, I, I care about the person underneath the costume. And I think that's what uh, that's the process that we like to repeat over and over again uh, with, an, with each new character. And that's definitely the focus. And it's it's essential. It's what keeps the MCU exciting for the for us as fans. It's why we don't get tired of it. It's because we we get to experience a set of stories with a given character, but then we we complete that character story and we move on to these other characters um, who are just as compelling. And now we're seeing that with a character like Moon Knight. And, and I think anytime we get the opportunity to remember that, of, oh, this is a new character I don't really know that much about. Is this something that's going to be all that interesting? Just remember, like nobody ever asked for a Guardians of the Galaxy movie before Marvel <laughs> Studios announced it. And then they did. And you, and even when they did, people were like, oh, this is they're, they're high on that Avengers money and they're do, they're, it's going to be their first flop. Nobody's going to care about the raccoon and the tree. People couldn't care more about the raccoon and the tree. And that's where uh, that's where things have gone. And now with a character like uh, like Moon Knight, I, I think when you engage the audience in a new way, and, and that's what you want a new character to do is what does this character bring to the table that our other characters have not? And, and we've been talking about it the the psychological aspects of it, the horror aspects of it, being able to play in different genre spaces than the MCU has played in before. That's what makes it uh, compelling for us on the surface level to get us to watch. But then as we watch, we just connect specifically with this uh, this character or these characters, if you're counting the, the identity separately. And, and you talk about connecting with these characters. Right? It's why we love, you know, I, I love Peter Parker. I love Spider-Man because... That was me, right? I was the nerdy kid and didn't mm -hmm. have a lot. Of, and you wish you had those. It's it's the real world relatability. But sometimes you connect almost on a, an even more superficial level. And one thing that's new and fresh and wonderfully different about Moon Knight is some of the superficiality. What I mean by that, look, let's admit, you know, sometimes we like characters because their costumes are just freaking cool. And Moon yeah. Knight's costume is <laughs> yes. really cool and it's different, right? So some people... Right, wrong, or otherwise, and well, Moon Knight was the Marvel answer to Batman, right? There are certain mm -hmm. similarities, even in the comics, you know, the backstory about him being, you know, a, a very maybe eccentric billionaire was, was very similar to Bruce Wayne, but very sort of the opposite of literally like the, like Mr. Negative of Batman. Like the costume is very different because instead of being you know, dressed in black, you know, original Daredevil or, or Batman or whoever it is to sort of blend in with the night. Moon Knight's costume is all white. And I right. sitting here, I can't think of anybody else's costume other than the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man whose costume <laughs> is all white. And yes, it sort of reflect and and the, the, the aesthetic of the moon, but it's almost like Moon Knight wants to be seen. He wants to be very mm. visible. He's not trying to blend into the background. And the first time I saw that costume, not just in the comics, but on screen, 
I was all in. I we were, were all some of us are already looking like when is the Marvel Legends figure coming out? When are the Funko yeah, Pops coming yeah. out? Right. Yeah, I think they they've shown now. I think Hasbro did put out some photos of the the Marvel Legends figure, and it it looks incredible, and the, the Hot Toys figure of it looks mm-hmm. in, incredible. I mean, it's it's such a great costume, and I've always loved the psychology of the costume. At least what it was presented at is in the comics is unlike other vigilantes or other you know heroes, what superheroes, whatever who don't who want to be hidden you know who want to strike from the shadows moon knight wants his enemies to see him coming and that is uh certainly cool of this idea of this hero who is uh not intimidated at all not feeling like he needs surprise and in fact intimidation is kind of the factor of like you're going to see me coming the whole way and i'm still going to beat you and I think there's something obviously it's very, very different than the tactical approach uh, that goes into other superhero costumes for sure. And then it's just a really cool looking costume. And as much as I love the deeper psychological aspects of it, character dynamics and, and all of those things that we talk about, and we celebrate um, that, you know, make us feel like we're appreciating these things on a deeper level because we are, and we don't just feel that way. It's what's happening sometimes things are just cool and sometimes things just look awesome. And that is, uh, that's true for both of the Moon Knight costumes that we have in this show, the Moon Knight look more superhero hooded caped look. And then the Mr. Knight, you know, suit and tie look. They're both great looks for this character. And then just the way it comes together, because this is different than the comic books, like the way the costume comes onto him, which you've seen in the trailer, the way it's like wrapping around him that is that more supernatural approach of like the costume is coming from somewhere and, and kind of covering him wrapping him up that's not really what it was in the comic books it was really just like a suit that he puts on like any other superhero puts on a suit and uh you know marvel definitely loves having that they love having the ways to have uh, characters be able to suit up whether it's nanotechnology and whatever that heroes have had uh, to be able to get costumes, uh, get them in and out of costumes faster. Um, but this is at least a different approach to it, to have it be a more supernatural element, um, much more related to Khonshu and, uh, you know, that the powers that um, Stephen Grant or rather Mark Spector is is being gifted by Khonshu. Um, I, I love the, the how, the why of it, uh, as far as how they've answered that in the show. Um, but then, yes, it just looks outstanding. It, it's, it is incredibly cool to look at. And I'm sure people who watch the first episode are, uh, can't wait to see more of it since you only got it in the, the final shot of the first episode. Yeah. I think moon Knight is going to be the, the, uh, the fat Thor nerd costume for Halloween 2022. So <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and bet that, uh, Mr. Knight becomes the more popular yeah. <laughs> cosplay costume. Cause so it, it is a little right? bit, e- it's easier to pull off. <laughs> And we're it might be, to it might be a little bit cooler. Right, we're all going to go to Goodwill. Do you have any white suits anywhere? I know. I'm trying to be Saturday Night Fever. I'm trying to be Moon Knight. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, number six on my show, uh, on my on my list, is that Moon Knight is a standalone show. I end that not with a period, but with an <laughs> ellipsis, and, and I'll explain yeah. why. And I think one of the things that's attractive and positive about Moon Knight is that it is apparently for now, isolated from the MCU. And again, you can sort of enter Moon Knight having not watched all 22 movies, 10 plus years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 
which allows you as a fan the freedom and flexibility to just enter this series not having to have any pre-existing knowledge. And even Oscar Isaac had talked about in some interviews how Moon Knight very much rests on its own terms. And mm-hmm. while it does play take place within the MCU, it's not necessarily part of that story. And maybe the impact on prior events to this is minimal and maybe the impact of this on future events is relatively minimal as well. And I think there's a little bit of an appeal, especially for somebody who's maybe just dipping their toe in the water to just having this six episode series be relatively somewhat fully contained. I think so. And and I think that's a really good idea when you know that so many people are just fans of Oscar Isaac and you have a lot of people who maybe haven't necessarily jumped into the MCU at this point but they know Oscar Isaac is great in everything he does. And so maybe this is well, the Marvel show X-Men for Apocalypse, them. Apocalypse, but that was Well, yeah, fault. okay. I, I don't know if that's entirely his fault, but uh, <laughs> you, you couldn't see him under the Ivanu's makeup anyway. So we'll just pretend it didn't happen. But I, I think that as far as, you know, just knowing that that might be an avenue for people, though, because obviously Oscar Isaac has a fandom that, uh, you know, stretches across different film genres and things like that, that maybe more people, whether it's for him or, or they just think this show looks cool. It just stands out to them in a way that maybe other Marvel movies and, and series haven't. And so you want to be able to, as I was saying earlier, you want any potential series or movie to work as somebody's first, uh, you know, foray into this universe. And one of the easiest ways to do that is not have them start a show and feel like, oh man, I really should have done my homework before I watched this show. So if you drop into the first episode and they're talking about all this pre-existing stuff or it's connecting into all of these other movies and series that other people have watched and and maybe you haven't, I think there is something to be said when you meet a character for the first time, especially when they're starring in their own thing, be it a movie or a series, to, to make sure that the audience can just watch that and be satisfied. And I, and I think even for those of us who have seen everything in the MCU and we love the interconnectivity of it all, the interconnectivity is the, it's the enhancement, right? It's, it's the icing. It's not necessarily the cake, right? It's not necessarily what you re, what really matters is that each individual story works, each individual character works, and you have the opportunity to connect with them because if you don't connect with the characters and the stories, then how they connect with each other ultimately isn't going to matter. It isn't going to be satisfying. It's not a payoff to an investment that you're, you weren't willing to make as an audience member because the individual stuff wasn't as strong. And, and so I think that in the case of this one with Moon Knight, the, the strength of this is that it is so it, it feels so removed from everything else in the MCU. I mean, even when, Dr. Arthur Harrow is, is talking about different atrocities in human history. Notice how he doesn't refer to any of the antagonists from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He uses other real world figures that are, are, are common for everybody, not specific to the MCU. And, and so I, I think that was that's among the smart choices where that they've made with this is let this series and let this character stand on its own before moving him into uh, becoming a, a piece of the larger puzzle. Because inevitably, I think we all feel like that's going to happen. It's the MCU, so it's just a matter of time. But just because it's just a matter of... Because, 
when it's just a matter of time, take the time to actually allow this character to uh, and allow this story to really stand apart from everything else. And when you're not worrying about how it all fits within the larger, uh, you know, tapestry of the MCU, when you're not as worried about that, then you can put all of your focus, whether that's the creators making the show or the fans watching and investing in the show, all of the energy goes into uh, the experience with this guy and, and getting to know him uh, so that that way it means that much more because it helps to, that's the backstory that you want to have. It's not the, how every piece connects. The backstory you want to have is who are these people? So when they meet, what does that mean? And that's what I think is what really drives the anticipation as fans is when we feel like we really know these guys, that's what makes it exciting when they meet because we know how this person is, how this person is, how they're likely to get along, how they may end up wind up in conflict with one another. Like it really helps that we kind of that we have such a strong sense of who Tony Stark is and Steve Rogers is before they ever meet because we already know where that's going to mean trouble, <laughs> but we also know in the end how that can work out uh, uh, beautifully as, as it did uh, throughout the Infinity Saga. So we have to have that time to really uh, connect with Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, Moon Knight, and this whole mythology. And also, this mythology is so rich and so deep all by itself that it is this entire little mini pocket of the MCU that um, you really need to devote a lot of time to uh, exploring that fully before you can even worry about how it's going to connect with uh, with everything else. So I, I think it really does a, a great job of showing that this all by itself is is pretty big. And that's why number six was it's a standalone show, dot, 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 because number yep. seven was that may eventually connect to the MCU. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk in one of the later points about what the possibilities are because they're very exciting. But, you know, the executive producer, Grant Curtis, said Moon Knight is very much in the MCU and, and we're going to see Easter eggs that sort of pay that promise mm-hmm. Off and timeline wise, you know, this, it, it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it, it, this is taking place like late 2024, early 2025 in sort of the timeline of the MCU. So there is a possibility that Mark Spector, Stephen Grant can meet and interact with in a positive or negative way some of the folks that we know and love in the MCU. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is there are definitely some things when we're talking about the connections to the MCU. There are some pieces if you're if you're looking for them, there are some pieces that kind of give you some indication of that that first this is in fact in the MCU. And, you know, secondly, where you are in the timeline and I think the main thing as far as what we know for sure in terms of timeline is it's post blip. Now, where it is post blip because there's a lot of things that are kind of concurrent, consecutive when it comes to post blip, where exactly it fits. Um, I'm not entirely sure yet, but it's it's close enough in proximity to everything else we've been watching in phase four that, yes, the opportunities are there for Moon Knight to eventually run into any number of characters. I, I think when we will, I'll probably get more specific about it when we get to another item on the list as far as where we'll see uh, some things start to uh, some things start to intersect. But, yeah, that's. Uh, you know, that's when the MCU is kind of working at its best is, yes, we're going to have this standalone story for Moon Knight right now. 
So that way we get a, a complete journey with this character to, to get to know him and start to invest in him. Uh, so that way we get those, uh, those crossover interconnectivity payoffs later on down the line. But those are, those are definitely on the way. Yeah, and and one of the things that I love too, and not just making it sort of connective tissue to the MCU is number eight on my list is there are amazing Easter eggs and mm. mysteries throughout the show. Watching Moon Knight for me, the first episode is like going to see an MCU film for the first time. You need to sort of just take it in uh-huh. in its totality. And then we go back and then we're watching for all of, of the little things we're watching to see and the, the symbology of mirrors being used and the numbers of mirrors, mm-hmm. the reflections and how they, they're they similar and, and how they differ. Um, alligators, like the, the little presence of alligators. I love, love, love the fact that on the wall in the museum is a QR code. Right. If you scan it with your phone, you can download – nice plug for Marvel Unlimited, by the way. You can download yeah. the first issue of Werewolf by Night, which is where Moon Knight makes his first appearance. Yeah. I mean, it that might be the greatest Easter egg of all time is a, a free comic book. I, I can't really think of a better Easter egg than that um, because you actually do get a treat, right? Like that is the <laughs> – Right, it pays off, know, yeah. Yeah, Easter egg has always been more of a, you know, metaphorical statement or whatever, just, you know, referring to all these little geek out things that are included for us as fans. But no, you actually get to open the little thing and get a, well, it's a digital comic book, so you don't get a print, a folded up print comic book inside the egg. But uh, I I like that you actually get something as a fan. Um, I I don't know, I'm I'm trying to think of even how that was discovered, but obviously somebody saw a QR code and went for it. But um, yeah, you get a free comic book out of it and that's fantastic. But I also think that, in terms of Easter eggs, there's going to be other stuff that points to other things that we're kind of aware are happening in the MCU. Um, and certainly Easter eggs for those who are fans of, you know, Egyptian myth- uh, mythology is going to be part of it because they took care in in that. They put out a little featurette that showed how much uh, attention to detail they paid in, in those things. So for those who know more about that, there's stuff for them to notice and enjoy and, and I love that these Easter eggs are, are working on these different levels. So no matter where your hardcore fandom lies, uh, whether that's in ancient Egypt or the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Marvel Comics or whatever it may be, there, there's lots of crossover and there, there's lots of fun little things to find. And it's it's wonderful because we're, we, we've become so conditioned and trained for that. Like you see a license plate, you have to go and try and figure out right. what that license plate represents. If you see an image, you have to try and figure out where it is. And I love, too, that sometimes the Easter eggs that are there are not necessarily visual, but mm-hmm. auditory, um, because the, the choices that are made, and I love it, and let, you know, the the music and the score is wonderful, and I love the fact that there it's, it's, it's culturally appropriate, but the very first song that we hear is Every Grain of Sand by Bob Dylan. You're like, oh, of course, it's sand, it's Egypt. But mm-hmm. it's deeper than that because it's a very spiritual song. Bob Dylan became a born-again Christian in the early 80s, and this song is all about spirituality and faith. And what's the first thing that we see going back to our discussion of Arthur Harrow and his expression of faith and penance and devotion to his spirituality? And mm-hmm. I love the fact that sometimes even a simple song, there's 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 always a reason why it's just a matter of us being able to play this game and figure out how they all connect. 
Right. Well, I, I think also just tonally the the Engelbert Humperdinck uh, hit "A Man Without Love" right <laughs> playing in this because it it goes into the it plays into the almost whimsical presentation of the the rituals that Stephen Grant has to go through when he goes to bed at night to try and make sure that he's not uh, while he's asleep he doesn't go anywhere and or if he has gone anywhere to try and make sure he he knows about it in some way and you know and and so it it's you know it's it's a the song sounds fun and it sounds pleasant and, and it is it's pleasant enough but then when you just think about the you just think about the the name of the song man without love well that's what he is you know Stephen Grant is a very very lonely person and his inability to connect with others it's it's largely the result of what he's suffering from in uh, in this and so you know when you have these things of it's the it's the juxtaposition of the the silliness the playfulness of it but then also the inherent sadness of it uh as well and then anytime you want to you know drop a needle on wham then uh, let's go for it so i'm, I'm all about it Engelbert Humperdinck must be going, why am I getting so many downloads all the Why are people Googling my name so much? Um, I, I look, even I'm sure I'm not the only one that sat there trying to look at every single postcard that was in his room and versus the postcards yeah. that were in the gift shop. And we'll talk about whether his mom is real or not when <laughs> at a later date. Um so yeah, anytime you have two conversations and they're both one-sided, uh, that's yeah, <laughs> they're both right. with, a, with a voicemail box as opposed to the actual person. Yeah, that's usually not a great sign. Yeah, right. And, and if it makes you think back to uh, Captain America: Civil War, then it's it's it um, mm-hmm. there's, there's similarities there. Yeah. Getting down to the last two, uh, number nine on my list, and something that is exciting to see as we go forward, because really we've just gotten a very very small taste of Moon Knight, the hero, and the powers that Moon Knight possesses and mm-hmm. what we might see. And not just the, the powers, but some of the, you know, again, that sort of make the, the Batman analogy, but what does Moon Knight have in his little, you know, utility belt? Um, the thing that I like about Moon Knight, and I think, and I'm hoping this is something that we're going to see over time, is Moon Knight's powers seem to sort of shift slightly based on the persona that is in charge, right? So Mark Spector has this very elite military training, which is obviously very different than poor little, you know, gift shop guy, Stephen Grant, but he has this enhanced strength that is, um, we we referenced before, you know, based on Conchu and the, the, even sort of the, the fluctuations of the phases of the moon and, endurance and and pain tolerance and a, a little bit of immortality that comes directly from Kanchu as well. Yeah, there's a certain um question of whether or not Mark Spector is is even alive just going into the the origin at least in the comic books anyway. What the nature of this is in the MCU remains to be seen, but as far as the the comic books are concerned, it was Mark Spector being a mercenary who was betrayed uh, by his fellow mercenaries, mercenary betrayed by mercenaries, go figure. But, um, uh, but yeah, then being left for dead and, and Conchu kind of saves Mark Spector. And that's what allows Mark Spector to act as the, you know, but that's, it's saving him with a debt, right? Saving him to fulfill a purpose. You're going to be the avatar of Conchu, the fist of Conchu. And that is Moon Knight. And, 
it's definitely shifted in the comic books. And that's where I think the, the series, not just this series right now, but then also in the MCU going forward, there's been a fair amount of variation in terms of the, what powers Moon Knight has, if Moon Knight has any powers at all. Sometimes Moon Knight doesn't have powers and it's just the costume. And he's basically a, a human crime fighter a la Batman. But then there's other times where there has been some, uh, as you mentioned, with fluctuations of the moon, there's been times where Moon Knight does have enhanced strength and durability and healing and, and all of those things. And I expect that this series will probably lean more into the supernatural side of it because that definitely seems to be uh, the line that they're going. But whatever they define for Moon Knight in this series, it's worth keeping in mind that it is anything with Moon Knight is always subject to change. Um, uh, because the the rules of Moon Knight can change, and so I, I think it's it's interesting it's interesting to see how they're doing it so far. But I I like the way they're doing it, and there's definitely a power aspect of this, right? The way the suit comes onto him is indicative of a more supernatural approach to this. That he is going to have some heightened powers. I mean, he is punching out, uh, you know, whether he's punching out monsters, not just. Uh, not just human bad guys in an alley, right? Like he's having to fight supernatural creatures. And so that means that, yeah, this guy needs to have some enhanced powers, some enhanced abilities. And I think we will see that throughout the, throughout the series. And the suit is certainly a part of what's affording him that, but there's also a skill set that Mark Spector already has uh, that he, uh, that he certainly brings to it. Right. You wonder what's going to be adopted and what isn't right. Cause like you said, we right. see the suit, appear on him and it almost has a very cloth like quality to it where mm -hmm. uh, and, and forgive me like in the comics wasn't one of his suits or, or his main suit made of, of carbonadium which was sort of like a uh, it's not like adamantium but it's almost is this like very um, yeah impenetrable like steel like Kevlar. Yeah, so it's but it's still very much um, still just very much material, right? That you know, and, and it's it's a it's separate from him. It's not coming onto him. It's like Bruce Wayne goes and puts on a bat suit. You know, Mark Spector goes and puts on this Moon Knight suit. And yes, it is armored and it protects him and all of that. Um, and that is more of the the practical side of it, right? Of like this is just a practical thing that theoretically anybody can have in this universe if they can get a hold of these fictional substances or whatever it may be. So anybody in theory could uh, wear this, but that's definitely not the approach that we're seeing here. Like if, you know, what we're going to, I think what we're seeing in this series is more of that idea of, you know, the, the chosen one type of thing, you know, chosen by Conchu and therefore, you know, only Mark Spector gets the suit. Um, Cause it's, it's, very clear in the first episode that that Kanchu is no fan of Stephen Grant. So um, I, I think you you definitely have a, more of that spiritual and, and supernatural element to it uh, with how it's being presented here. And and I, I like that. And I, I think it it makes sense. But then you also have uh, which we've not seen yet through the first episode, but you have the Mr. Knight persona. And I, I think what you'll probably see is depending on the costume that's being worn, I think you'll see the powers mm -hmm. change. Um, I think you'll probably see the the more superhero esque look for Moon Knight being uh, probably more physically powerful than the Mister Knight look uh, would be my best guess. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that uh, Mister Knight won't have anything to offer. Yeah, and it's it. I'm curious going forward again. Even 
you know, Moon Knight in, in one of the runs of the comics was able to absorb powers of others, right? He was able to absorb the powers of Spider-Man and Wolverine. And lest we forget, he also has some really cool weapons at his disposal, the Ankh and, and the the bracelets and boomerangs. I, I may or not be looking to try and print out a, a 3D print of sort of that Moon Knight, <laughs> it's boomerang slash knife because his weapon set is really cool as well. Yeah, they are his his weaponry is is pretty awesome. And number 10 and I think really most exciting on my list are the opportunities going forward. And and I'm smiling as I say that because we've talked about how much and so much that is unknown and this really is an, a reinvention and a retelling of the comics in the story of what we've seen so far. And also in terms of what is potentially going to happen, because while on one hand they're saying, yes, this is very much a standalone show and it might exist in the MCU, but the interactions and integrations are yet to be seen. But over time, Moon Knight has interacted with and been part of groups with so many characters. You may mm-hmm. have heard of some of these. Like Spider-Man, Daredevil, Doctor Strange. I wonder what movie's coming up soon. The X-Men, <laughs> Punisher, right. Deadpool, Blade, Dracula, Black Knight. So, and he's been on some of the teams, right? West Coast Avengers, um, Marvel Knights, the Midnight Suns is probably the one that's most notable. I mean, just even in in that, um, and one of the other ones I was thinking about too was was Submariner, like We've been sort of being teased about Namor coming on on sort of the Black Panther side of things. Uh, right. Moon Knight has had interactions with him as well. So the opportunities going forward are massive based already on what he has done in the comics. There's no shortage of places they can go. I don't know that they can explore every connection that Moon Knight has had because everybody's hung out with everybody in Marvel comic books at this point. <laughs> But for Moon Knight, I think if we're looking at I mean, anything is possible in terms of the interconnectivity in the MCU, like would anybody really be shocked? I mean, it would be it's always surprising, but it would be in just this very delightful way if if Oscar Isaac somehow makes an appearance somewhere in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, like he wraps up his series and then we go watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And there he is whether it's in the main film or more likely, you know, a, a mid or post credit scene where he shows up and, and connects this. Cause obviously Dr. Strange is kind of been, his kind of been the lone representative of the supernatural in the MCU for a while until Wanda went uh, deeper into that side of it in WandaVision. And then obviously you introduce Agatha Harkness. So we've seen some, but they do it in a way that I think is very different from what Moon Knight represents, but they're still hovering around some of that same space. So you can see where their paths might intersect. But I think while we're focusing so much on new characters with Moon Knight, let's look at the new characters who have either just been introduced or are coming up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you start looking at, um, you you look at Dane Whitman, who was introduced, uh, played by Kit Harington, who was introduced in Eternals. Uh, just starting to mess around with the ebony blade in that post credit scene for Eternals. And then we hear that voice of Mahershala Ali as Blade, who was introduced on the Comic-Con stage in Hall H 
a few years ago, but we have now still not seen him in the MCU, just heard his voice very briefly that one time, but he's here now, right? We heard the voice, he's here now. So with Blade and Dane Whitman, who is Black Knight and Moon Knight, you can see those characters coming together. And while Marvel hasn't said a whole lot about the Halloween special that they've been making, there's a lot of thought there that Werewolf by Night, where Moon Knight was originally introduced, is maybe coming into that. And there have certainly been plenty of rumors, and, and these ones I would classify purely as rumors and speculation of whether or not Ghost Rider is a character who might have, uh, whose arrival might be maybe not imminent, but close enough to it in the MCU. But even set aside Ghost Rider, Blade, Black Knight, Moon Knight, possibly also Werewolf by Night, and then uh, maybe even Doctor Strange, Wanda, and or Agatha. And you see where I, I think what we're looking at here in this, not just phase four, but this larger saga that we're in, that we don't even have a name to attach to it yet because it's so early and we don't know how everything's coming together. But I think what we're seeing across the MCU is different, not just one team with the Avengers um, in terms of these culmination events. I see different tracks for different teams. You have the the younger heroes that might port that might point toward a young avenger slash champions sort of team up you have the the heroes who have uh, more complex pass you know let's just say with bucky or yelena that maybe points in the direction of a a dark avengers or thunderbolts type of team and then of course you have the traditional avenger setup and you've also got this group here with moon knight that feels more a part of the occult, the Midnight Suns, as as you were mentioning. And I, I think where you, everything kind of revolved around the Avengers culmination in the Infinity Saga and coming back to that and everything just kept feeding back into that. And obviously with some, you know, guardians thrown in uh, for good measure. Now you see so many different teams and, and so many different crossovers in their own way. And so by the time we get to whatever, call it Secret Wars, call it whatever Marvel Studios eventually calls it, but it's a crossover of crossovers because all these other things are are having are a part of it. So there's a lot to be excited about, I think, in terms of the much bigger picture that we just have no chance of even really seeing and we can only just guess at right now. That's very exciting. But then things that look to be a little bit more immediate for Moon Knight, like interacting. I mean, just think about just think about the idea of watching Oscar Isaac and Mahershala Ali standing opposite each other, having a conversation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like that's the kind of stuff that we were you know, dreaming about. Just like when Benedict Cumberbatch was Dr. Strange, I was like, can you imagine what it's going to be like when Benedict Cumberbatch stands across from Robert Downey Jr.? So when you have these, you know, Titans um, from in, in the world of acting and, and you know that it, their paths are, are likely to cross, it just becomes unbelievably exciting. And so, yeah, that, that idea of, uh, Oscar Isaac, Mahershala Ali, and, and throw in Kit Harrington and, and whoever else wants to wants to come along for the ride. Um, you just know something special is going to happen. Look, I even have a Marvel team up of Moon Knight and Spider Man. So and and yeah. again, we are so so in watching. If you watch them, the you know you can sort of make connections wherever you want to see them. Right, you can find these things. Mm -hmm. If you watch the Ms. Marvel trailer, you'll see that um, Kamala Khan is in class. And she has a book of world history and what's on the cover, but Egyptian hieroglyphs and a mask of Tutankhamun. Right. And you're like, 
And the, we, we joke about it all the time. This really could be Mephisto confirmed because, <laughs> because there is actually a rivalry between Khonshu and Mephisto. One of these days, Sean, Mephisto is finally going to show up and pay off uh, for all the people that have been waiting for him to show up since WandaVision. Right, yeah, and then we'll just have to find somebody else to guess is, all, is <laughs> always about to appear. Um, but look, I, 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 it was amazing for me how much and how quickly I fell in love with Moon Knight. Before, before he even came to screen, I was excited about what was coming because I didn't know what to expect. And then after watching the first episode three and three quarters times, I loved it not for just what it is as a standalone show, but it also gets me excited for what is coming for the next phase of Marvel, specifically on Disney Plus, right? With Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, Secret Invasion, Armor Wars, Ironheart, just sort of coming one after another after another. And Moon Knight, for me personally, hit on so many levels, not just the, the Marvel superhero but he is this wonderful combination of, or the show is a combination of, of Indiana Jones and Lara Croft and Giorgio Sukalos, the ancient aliens guy, and Night at the Museum and the Mummy, and all of these sort of different storytelling uh, genres sort of wrapped up in in one. And like I said, I don't think after watching that first episode, I was excited to see a second episode as much with any of the other MCU shows to date. Yeah. It's just has so many things going for it. As, as you mentioned, you know, the, the touch points that we can kind of look at here, Indiana Jones. Um, and, and yeah, certainly the, the mummy uh, was certainly something that I was uh, feeling as watching the show of just that, you know, which I, those movies I think are pretty underrated with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss. Uh, those were, those were a lot of fun. Um, but then also there's other things, as I mentioned, you know, sort of the the mission of Amit feels a, a little minority report-esque. And then also with the dissociative identity disorder, there's a little bit of uh, and the idea of lost time uh, and, and battling for control within a body. There's a little bit of fight club uh, that comes into that as well. And you just see them looking at all of these different things and, and all of these different uh, reference points and, and, you know, inspirations. But all of that is just, you know, they are just that, you know, they are just reference points while they're, you know, craft and the comic books as well as they craft their own original story with this. And and the way they are presenting it is uh, something that I find very, very compelling. Um, and, and of course it's enhanced by the fact that it's, it's Oscar Isaac right there at, at the center of it. And also just a very rich mythology that they get to tap into. And, and I'm, very happy to see the way that they are are making proper use of that mythology from the comic books, but then also ancient Egyptian mythology and being uh, approaching it in you know in, a, in an authentic way, and then also just really getting getting into the mess, having a lot of fun, but also getting into the mess uh, of everything that Stephen Grant uh, and Mark Spector that these different identities have to deal with, uh, while also. <laughs> delivering horror sequences and supernatural elements the, the likes of which we just haven't seen in uh, in the MCU and it's crazy to think about after all the things that we've had in the MCU and we're coming up on 14 years of this that they can still find new ways to tell to tell us stories and introduce us to characters and, and everything um but they are and, and have it and have it continue to feel as fresh as it does and 
And Moon Knight uh, is a continuation of that. And while very much feeling uh, very unique and, and very much its own thing. And it's a little surreal, honestly. I mean, I, I because it was announced uh, you know, three years ago in at D23 Expo in, in 2020 or in 2019, to think that it's finally here, um, you know, because some of the stuff after going, we had to go through an entire year with nothing from the MCU uh, to, you know, come back in full force as Marvel Studios did in 2021. But now to have Moon Knight here, because those were the Disney Plus series that I think were the most exciting to hear about in 2019 because they were brand new characters. The ones that uh, Feige announced at D23 Expo with Miss Marvel, Moon Knight and She-Hulk. And now the first one of those three is here with Moon Knight. And I mean, I'm very excited about the other two on the way uh, later this year. But yeah, I, I think Moon Knight is has always been such a great character in the comic books. And uh, I'm so glad that audiences are, are seeing why are getting a chance to see why here on Disney Plus. And and the reason they get a chance to is because, yeah, the, the storytellers have you know, brought great care to this. And, you know, it's not just about their intentions. Their execution has been uh, outstanding so far. Yeah, I, I'm, I need to do a show on top 10 reasons why we love Kevin Feige. Uh, and it'll be a top 10 that has more than 10. But look, Moon Knight is a show. I, I love the fact that Moon Knight meets you where you are, whether you are yep. unfamiliar with the character and want to sort of follow through, or if you've known of his comic book history, you're still going to be surprised. If you want to take the show on its face for pure enjoyment value, you can. If you want to sort of be nerds like us and freeze frame and go yeah. run up to the TV looking for things in the background, you can do that too. And Moon Knight is just so is so full of ifs, right? There's and and it's mm -hmm. one of the things that adds an additional layer to watch and enjoy and to love the show and to love the character. Um, I will say that what we've been what I started doing because because I'm I've been enjoying this so much and I want to sort of share that enjoyment and nerd out as much as I can with other people. What I started doing last week on the Wednesday night live show is uh, for members who are part of the WW radio nation, we're doing a Wednesday night, like moon night watch party together where we're watching together on the browser. We have a chat window up and then we're going to chat about each week's episode the following week on the Wednesday night live show. You can learn more by visiting www.radionation.com and checking out the thread over in the clubhouse, Sean, I have, you know what you should do? We should come back maybe in a couple of weeks uh, on a Wednesday night live show and we'll talk yeah. more about, uh, we'll re review the next or the next couple of episodes as they come up. Um, but I want people also to find out and follow what you do because the reason why I found you was because I fell in love with your MCU fan show podcast and then we met up uh, years later at an event. So please tell everybody where they can find and follow and listen to you as well. Sure. Thank you very much. They can, you can find me at MCU fan show on Instagram, on Twitter. And then if you want to find the MCU fan show podcast, just search MCU fan show, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or wherever else. All right. Last question. When, when Wednesday comes, are you a, I need, now you're on the West coast, right? So yes. are you sitting there waiting for midnight to come and watching at midnight? Are you able to sort of control, temper your excitement and wait for, for actual Wednesday to show up? It depends on what I have to do Wednesday morning. So if I don't have to be up that early, then I will stay up and I will watch at midnight. 
But if I, because uh, I also work in the wonderful world of production, so if if I've got a you know a four thirty a.m. call time, no, I can't stay up until midnight to watch a show. And it's not even the challenge is not actually staying up and watching the show. The challenge is being able to fall asleep after watching the show because once the episode is over, there's at least another hour's worth of adrenaline before I can even think about falling asleep. So uh, when I have the opportunity to, I, I love to watch at midnight. I miss Fridays as the day that new episodes <laughs> right. dropped on Disney+. Plus. Uh, that was a lot easier for me because if I was going to be short on sleep, it was only one day before the weekend. So it was easier to recover. Uh, so hopefully maybe Fridays will come back at some point. But I, I try to watch at midnight as much as I can. Uh, but if not, then I am off of social media all day until I get home and immediately watch the episode. Yeah, I and I think probably many other parents struggle with sending our kids off to school in the morning going, do I watch right now by myself <laughs> in full? Like, I love watching with my sons. We could experience it together. But I remember during WandaVision, it was a couple of times I held that thumb over the remote and like, no, 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 I'm going to wait. We're going to we're going to do this uh, together. I would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on Moon Knight, the character, the series, the hero, the anti-hero? I will post in the clubhouse, uh, a question about Moon Knight. And don't forget to come and join our spoiler support group at www.radio.com slash spoilers, where you can talk and should talk all things spoilers for Moon Knight and other things in the Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars universe. There are some great conversations and theories that are being explored over there. Sean Gerber from MCU Fan Show, thank you so much again, buddy, for coming on and, uh, and sharing your knowledge, your love, and your excitement about Moon Knight. Uh, thank you for having me, Lou, and thank you, everyone, for listening. I really am going to try and print out, like, a 3D print of the Moon Knight, like, crescent moon weapon. You should. It's just... It's awesome, Mike. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World, or sometimes Marvel Trivia... If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. This week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. And I mean that because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of WW Radio to life, every live broadcast from the parks, the contests and giveaways. It is all thanks to you. And you can find out how you can help support the show for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, in-park trivia quests, group video calls, access to our private Facebook group, stickers, shirts, monthly care packages, discounts and early access to events, and much more. Also, don't forget that a portion of your optional contribution goes to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. I want to thank some new and longtime members of the Nation family, including John Tips, Tommy Reeves, Amanda Boardwine, and Jimmy Swoop. I sincerely appreciate your love, support, friendship, and help. And if you want to find out how you can help the show, visit www.radio.com slash support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I asked you to tell me where in Walt Disney World have you seen or could you see Professor Cumulus Isobar? And this one maybe was a little tricky because he's not necessarily a named character in an attraction. But again, thanks to hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and know that he's a character from Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in Magic Kingdom. Now, the professor was basically a traveling con artist and snake oil salesman who came to the tiny town of Tumbleweed, which happened to be going through this harsh drought, 
and promised them that he'd be able to summon rain. Now, he obviously wasn't able to do that, but his claim angered the spirit of Big Thunder Mountain, which caused a flash flood that night, which marooned Professor in the town. And if you want to find the Professor and his coach, which he is bailing rainwater out of, you can find him on the left-hand side of your vehicle as you approach the vignette of the small town. And so I took all the correct entries from last week, randomly selected one, and once again, you were playing for a WWE Radio pin, keychain, and a mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Amanda Clark. So Amanda, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's non-Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So if you've listened to the show for any length of time or if we're connected over on social, or if you've watched a live video on Wednesday night from the home studio, you can easily see that I am a huge Spider-Man fan. I'm also a Daredevil fan, much like me. He's a Catholic lawyer with impaired vision. I am blind as a bat and my contact lenses are like as thick as Coke bottles. He also has heightened senses and my kids tell me that I have supersonic hearing to a fault. Anyway, Spider-Man is far and away my favorite superhero and I love and I understand you, Peter Parker. So tell me this week, in what movie did Spider-Man make his first appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I'm not talking about the Sam Raimi and the Andrew Garfield. In what movie did Spider-Man make his first appearance in the MCU? You have until Sunday, April 10th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. Again, this week you're going to play for the pin, a keychain, and maybe I'll even throw in a little Spider-Man bonus prize from my personal collection. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you for tuning in this and every week. I'd love to hear your thoughts about Moon Knight and anything that you want to discuss in the Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars universe. Please come be part of the community and conversation over in the WW Radio Clubhouse on Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Be sure to like the WW Radio page on Facebook facebook.com slash Radio and turn on notifications in both the clubhouse and on the page so you don't miss a thing including our Wednesday night WW Radio live broadcasts where we walk talk ride sometimes eat from the parks or I'll share my top five live our Disney plus pick of the week questions contest calls and more every Wednesday 730 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com if you have a question you'd like me to answer on an upcoming show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, or if you want to be heard on the air, call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WW1. Of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing continues to beat a handshake and a hug, and visit our events page at www.radio.com slash events and or the calendar on our Facebook page. Join us on one of our WW Radio group cruises, including our August cruise on the Disney Wish, our Very Merry Time cruise on the Wish December 5th, or our April 2023 Disney Fantasy 8-night overnight in Bermuda and Bahamas. And speaking of our August 1st inaugural cruise on the Disney Wish, come visit the WW Radio Clubhouse at www.radio.com clubhouse. There I will have a post and a link to where you can enter our cruise logo contest for a chance to win a mystery prize package. You can also find a link to the contest and lots of other great articles over on the www.radio.com blog. 
You can learn more and get a free new obligation quote from our partners over at MouseFan Travel at www.radio.com slash cruise. And our next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World is going to be scheduled for later in April. Unfortunately, our meet was originally scheduled this past weekend during the Run Disney Springtime Surprise Weekend. The weather in Epcot, unfortunately, was bad at best and dangerous at worst with a lot of lightning. So I made what I think was the smart and prudent decision to reschedule it for later this month. I am so sorry to anyone who was here for the Run Disney Weekend and unfortunately can't come later on this month. Please check the events tab on the Clubhouse or on the Facebook page for time, location. It's fun, it's friendly, it's family-friendly, and of course, always free. Come by yourself or bring the entire family. Thanks as always to my travel partner and friends over at MouseFanTravel.com. Whether you're coming to Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise, Disneyland, Aulani, or anywhere on this big, blue, beautiful world of ours, go and visit MouseFanTravel.com for the best possible prices all available discounts, an incredible level of personal service that comes at no cost to you. Visit them at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please, please, please help spread the word. How? Tell a friend about the show. Share a link to this or your favorite episode over on social. Tag me at Lou Mangiello so I can see it and reshare it. Take a second to rate the show over in Spotify Podcasts. And if you can, take just a few more seconds to rate and review the show over in Apple Podcasts. It is incredibly helpful, very much appreciated. I want to thank some reviewers like Mike, who says it's uplifting and enlightening. I'm a longtime listener. It's the only thing I've been compelled to actually rate because after every each and every episode, I just plain feel better. Gosh, it's exactly what I want you to do. Lou just finds a way to see the best in everything and everyone as he makes a real connection with the audience. Kudos, Mr. Mangello. Mr. Mangello is my dad, but thank you, Mike. And a Disney World fan says it's a fantastic resource for both fans and novices alike. Whether they're going to Walt Disney World for the first or a thousandth time, there's something here for everybody. I love the podcast. Thank you for your kind words, for your reviews, and for listening to the show. And thank you for sharing and spending some of your incredibly valuable time with me this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you're enjoying Moon Knight. I hope the show put a smile on your face, maybe a distraction from everyday life, and that it inspires you to choose the good, to find the good in everything and everyone that you encounter, and take that positivity and spread and share it with others. Because if you spread positivity, positivity will spread. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope to see you here again next week on the Wednesday night live show on Facebook. So until then, I hope this is your best week ever. See ya. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison from Flower Town, Pennsylvania. I'm in my backyard, so I hope it's not too windy. But I'm calling in with a belated happy 15th anniversary to WDW Radio. And I'm calling to answer the because of WDW Radio, I I don't even know where to start. I have made tons of new friends. I've completely changed my outlook on life as to one of eternal optimism. I started my business. I am thriving. I went on my first Disney cruise. I got to meet Lou three or four times now. I want to move to Disney. (laughs) This could be a top 15. (laughs) I joined Disney Vacation Club last week. I have the eternal thirst for Disney knowledge. I want to become an MEI 
Mothman travel agent in my retired life. I can't get enough of it. That's all the eyes. So thanks, Lou, for everything you do, and, and we all love you. And, yes, we, we populate the clubhouse, but you created it, and you set the tone, and everybody um, loves your internal optimism, and you just bring a, a ray of sunshine into all of our lives every week. So thank you for everything you do, and I wouldn't have met all these amazing people. So take care. See you on Wednesday night. Everybody, make someone smile. Bye-bye. Hi, Lou. It's Tom Free calling from New York City. Um, I enjoyed your podcast about the uh, the top ten themed dining ideas uh, in Walt Disney World. And it fired my imagination and my fantasies, Disney fantasies. So, uh, And you asked us to throw our ideas into the ring. And the first thing I thought of that I would love to see is a brand-new and different themed dining experience at the Diamond Horseshoe in the Magic Kingdom. As I'm sure you know, they used to have a pretty, have some uh, pretty elaborate shows there, and eventually it became just a dining venue, a nice one, uh, but just a dining venue opened at select times. But it's such a beautiful atmospheric venue, and they've got that beautiful stage. I would love to see something all new there in the way of a themed dining experience, with food, obviously. Um, but this time, I, I think they should try, and of course, this is a fantasy, I think they should, should try and connect it to Disney characters and other Disney IP. Now, I know that would be a big creative challenge because it would technically need to be tied thematically to the Old West. But um, Disney has some music from old shorts, old features that were Western-themed, characters like Pecos Bill, um, and there are other ones, I, and... Uh, I know they incorporated Western-style dancing in the Frontierland hoedown uh, more recently, and um, that, that's certainly popular these days. Uh, and um, they have had Western dancers on that stage in different shows through the years because I remember how awesome they were. Anyway, um, and, and maybe they could even write something new musically based on, I don't know, Big Thunder Mountain or, you know, they're storytellers. So... Uh, uh, I know that they could come up with something cool. And as, as I said, it would be a big big creative challenge, but uh, certainly an exciting one. Now, of course, investing that kind of money and effort would probably be, be a no-go as soon as the idea came up. But uh, you just did suggest we can let, let our uh, imaginations run wild. Anyway, fun questions, fun fantasies, and thank you uh, and your uh, colleagues on the podcast for exploring such a fun topic. Everyone, it's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. Hope everyone's having a fabulous Friday afternoon, um, or just a fabulous day if it's not a Friday and you're not listening to this on a Friday. Um, yeah, I wanted to call and just say hello. Um, just listened to the most recent episode about the Galactic Star Cruiser, and um, yeah, I've been seeing stuff online. It sounds pretty awesome. Being a non-Star Wars person myself, I think you guys. Um, made a really, really good point that it's kind of up to the person to spend that money, but um, it's definitely something I want to check off my bucket list at some point. So thanks for doing that and doing such a thorough review and, yeah, giving us all the information we kind of need to know to make an informed decision about going or not. Um, hope everyone's doing well. Stay magical, be magical, make someone stay magical, and I'll talk to you all real soon. Bye. Bye.